section twenty three of the lives of the queens of england volume nine by agnes and elizabeth strickland this librivox recording is in the public domain mary beatrice of modena chapter seven part one an interval of repose and even of domestic comfort succeeded the birth of la consolatrice as james the second fondly called the child of his adversity mary beatrice though deprived of the pomp and power of royalty and a queen only in name was assuredly much happier in her shadowy court at saint germain than she had been as a childless mother and neglected wife amidst the joyless splendor of whitehall she was now blessed with two of the loveliest and most promising children in the world and possessed of the undivided affection of a husband who was only the dearer to her for his misfortunes like the faithful ivy she appeared to cling more fondly to the tempest-scathed oak in its leafless ruins than when in its majestic prime a very eloquent and deserved tribute to the virtues and conjugal tenderness of this princess was offered to her in the days of her exile and adversity by the accomplished earl of lansdowne in a poem entitled the progress of beauty in which after complimenting the reigning bells of william and mary's court he adverts to the banished queen with a burst of generous feeling which ought to have been far more gratifying to mary d'este than all the homage that was paid to her in the morning flower of her charms when surrounded by the pride and pomp of royalty be bold be bold my muse not fear to raise thy voice to her who was thy earliest praise queen of our hearts and charmer of our sight a monarch's pride his glory and delight princess adored and loved if verse can give a deathless name thine shall for ever live o happy james content thy mighty mind grudge not the world for still thy queen is kind to be but at her feet more glory brings than tis to tread on sceptres and on kings secure of empire in that beauteous breast who would not give their crowns to be so blessed james himself frankly acknowledged that he had never known what true happiness was till rendered wise by many sorrows he had learned fully to appreciate the virtues and self-devotion of his queen he now regarded her not only with love but veneration and made it the principal business of his life to atone to her by the tenderest attentions for the pangs his former follies had inflicted on her sensitive heart he knew that possessed of her he was an object of envy to his cousin louis the fourteenth and was accustomed to say that like jacob he counted his sufferings for nothing having such a support and companion in them blessed in this perfect union the king and queen endeavoured to resign themselves to the will of god whose hand they both recognized in their present reverse of fortune the first time james visited the convent of chalot after the battle of la hogue the abbess francis angelica priolo condoled with him on the disastrous termination of his hopes and lamented that god had not granted the prayers which they had offered up for his success the king made no reply she fancied he had not heard her and began to repeat what she had said in a louder voice my mother interposed the fallen monarch gravely i heard you the first time you spoke i made you no answer because i would not contradict you but you compel me to tell you that i do not think you right for it seems to me as if you thought that what you asked of god were better than he has done all that god does is well done and there is not anything well done but what he does 
the abbess proceeded to make a comparison between him and saint louis when the great designs of that prince against the saracens were overthrown alas my mother replied james do not compare me to that great saint it is true i resemble him in my misfortunes but i am nothing like him in my works he was always holy from his youth but i have been a great sinner i ought to look upon the afflictions which god has sent me not as trials but as the just chastisement of my faults the sentiments expressed by james on this occasion in a letter to his friend the bishop of autan are those of a humble and contrite heart god says he is pleased to show from time to time by great events that it is he that does all to make us the more sensible that it is by him that kings do reign and that he is the lord of hosts no enterprise continues james was ever better concocted than the projected landing in england and never was anything more visibly shown than that it was not permitted by god for unless the winds had been contrary to us and always favorable to our enemies the descent had been made we ought to submit without murmuring to all that happens to us since we are assured that it is god's will it should be so on the seventh of september sixteen ninety two mary beatrice paid one of her annual devotional visits to the convent of chalot and remained there till the tenth the anniversary commemoration of the foundress queen henrietta maria when king james who had in the meantime made a retreat to the more lugubrious solitude of la trappe joined her and they both assisted at the services for the repose of the soul of that queen the bishop of day said mass and after all the offices were ended came to pay his compliments to their majesties in the state apartment they had a long conversation on the state of religion in dauphiny which greatly inclined to the doctrine of geneva the archbishop informed their majesties that in the city of day fourteen bishops adjured catholicism at once and all the men in that town declared themselves huguenots in one day their wives remained catholics ten years and then followed the example of their husbands day said he is one of the most ancient bishoprics in france the walls in the town were built by julius caesar who named it the city of a hundred towers there being that number round the wall which i understand the enemy has demolished the queen lamented the destruction of so great a piece of antiquity when the archbishop took his leave the nuns were permitted to enter the queen's presence chamber their majesties were seated on a sofa the nuns ranged themselves about the room but the queen requesting the abbess to permit them to sit her reverence made a sign for them to seat themselves on the ground the king and queen conversed pleasantly with them and in reply to a question from the abbess about charles the second's death mary beatrice related the particulars from beginning to end with some assistance from her husband who occasionally took up the word one of the community wrote the whole narrative down exactly as it was related by their majesties this curious and most interesting historic document in the archives au royaume de france entitled the recital of the death of his late majesty king charles in the course of the relation mary beatrice frankly told her consort before every one that he would have done better if he had persuaded his brother to avow his religion instead of resorting to so many little expedients about leaving the chamber she thought deception she said very wrong at such a time and on such a subject the conversation was interrupted by the arrival of several ladies of quality who wished to have the honour of paying their homage to the king and queen 
their majesties consented to receive them and the community of nuns retired the queen gave a second reception after the vespers which was attended by the orlan family and others of the great ladies of france the earnestness with which the queen apologizes to the superior of the convent of chalot for her carelessness in forgetting to give her some money which she had promised to solicit from king james for a case of distress is amusing her letter is only dated at saint germain this saturday i do not know my dear mother whether you can pardon me the great fault which i committed the other day with regard to you i know well that i can never pardon myself and that i have some trouble in pardoning you for not having reminded me when i was with you to give you that which i had brought for you and before i was as far as versailles i found it in my pocket it is certain that i felt myself blush so much on discovering it that if it had been day instead of night my ladies would have been astonished at the change in my countenance and it is also certain that i am truly annoyed with myself about it i have told the king that i had forgotten the other day to give you his money for the alms that you had asked and i have begged him to take it himself to-day and to give it to you with my letter he undertook to do it with all his heart without questioning me upon it and you my dear mother forget if you can a fault of memory but not of the heart assuredly endorsed to the reverend mother superior of the visitation de chalot the death of the bavarian dauphiness la grande dauphine as she is called in the memoirs of the period took place in the spring of sixteen ninety three after a lingering illness during which mary beatrice frequently paid her sympathizing visits although the dauphiness had always looked upon her as a rival in the regard of louis the fourteenth and was jealous of the ceremonial marks of respect that were paid to her on account of her empty title of queen of england after the funeral of this princess mary beatrice came to versailles in her black mantle of state mourning to pay her visits of condolence to the king who received her in his great cabinet there were present twenty ladies who were allowed seats she then visited the widow dauphin and his children and monsieur and madame the exiled king and queen had succeeded in carrying away a great many of the crown jewels as well as those which were their own personal property among the precious things which they secured was a casket full of rose nobles coined during the reign of the sovereigns of the house of lancaster these had become very scarce and a superstitious value was attached to them at that time in europe as it was believed that the gold from which they were struck had been the fruits of some successful alchemist's labors in transmuting inferior metals into gold one of these lancastrian coins was regarded as a valuable present by the ladies of the french court and the queen was glad to increase her influence by all the little courtesies in her power the jewels were parted with one by one in cases of extremity and not till long after mary beatrice had despoiled herself of all her personal ornaments of which few queens had a richer store or less need mary beatrice sometimes accompanied her husband in his journeys to la trappe where he formed a friendship with the abbe de Rancet, and till his death kept up a constant correspondence with him the english reader will take little interest in the fact that the devotion of this princess greatly edified even the strictest trappists yet her religion though differing in many points from that mode of faith which the true protestant thinks most acceptable to him who loves to be worshipped in spirit and in truth was a vital and sustaining principle 
a contemporary who bears record of the consoling influence of religion on the heart of king james says of his consort she has the same disengagement from things below she looks upon those which are here called goods but as flashes of light that pass away in a moment which have neither solidity nor truth but deceive those who set their hearts upon them mary beatrice was now in her thirty-fifth year but neither time nor sorrow had as yet impaired the personal graces which had been so lavishly bestowed upon her by nature james earl of perth when writing in terms of great commendation of the charming duchess of arenberg to his sister the countess of errol says she is one of the most beautiful and every way accomplished ladies i ever saw except our queen who deserves the preference for her merit of all i have known the fine original portrait of mary beatrice in the collection of walter strickland esq of sizer must have been painted about this period the elevated coiffure there represented was then the prevailing mode at the court of france but far less becoming to the classical outline of the italian princess than the floating ringlets of her more familiar portraits by Lely, or the grecian fillet and string of pearls with which her hair is arranged by rotier in her medals when duchess of york or queen of england it was sufficient for her to consult her own exquisite taste in such matters but in france she was compelled to submit to the tyranny of fashion in conformity to this her luxuriant tresses were turned up almost straight from her brow and combed over a cushion above which the back hair was arranged in a full wreath of curls and brought sloping down each side of the head a most trying style to any face adding an unnatural height to the forehead and a great stiffness to the general outline of the figure her dress in the original painting is of royal blue velvet furred with miniver the bodice fitting tight to the shape and clasped with a jeweled stomacher full sleeves looped with jewels and point lace ruffles the portrait which is supposed to be a regal is an exquisite work of art it was presented by the exiled queen to her faithful friend lady strickland together with a portrait of the princess louisa as the only rewards fortune had left in her power to bestow on that lady after thirty years of devoted service through every vicissitude these royal gifts are heirlooms in the possession of the direct descendants of sir thomas and lady strickland at sizer castle westmoreland another of the french portraits of the consort of james the second is in the royal historical gallery at versailles a crimson curtain in the background is drawn aside and shows the parterre of saint germain in the distance that palace so interesting to english travellers as the refuge of the last monarch of the royal stuart dynasty and his faithful queen and subsequently an asylum for their noble but ruined followers was plundered of its valuable paintings and furniture at the french revolution and has within the last few years been converted into a military penitentiary the chateau remains externally nearly the same as when james the second and mary beatrice held their melancholy courts there but the interior has suffered a desecrating change the great presence chamber where the exiled king and queen entertained the grand monarch the dauphin and all the princes and princesses of the orlan condi and conti lineage is now converted into a tailor's atelier fauteuils pleons and tabors are no longer objects of angry contention there the ignoble board where the military needlemen are seated in the equality of shame at their penal tasks 
has superseded all those graduated scales of privileged accommodation for the full-grown children of high degree in ancient france who wearied the vexed spirit of a queen of england with their claims and absurd pretensions a portion of the private suite of the king and queen's apartments remain unaltered king james's morning-room or cabinet with its dark green and gold panelling and richly carved cornice presents a melancholy appearance of faded splendour it opens with glass doors upon the stately balcony that surrounds the chateau and commands a charming and extensive prospect it was here that the fallen king retired to read or write this room communicated with the queen's bedchamber by a private stair and indeed with the whole of that wing of the palace by a number of intricate passages which lie behind it in one of the lobbies there is a small square window which commands a view of the royal closet so that any one ambushed there might look down upon his majesty and watch all his proceedings a pleasing tradition connected with this window was related to me by a noble lady whose great-grandmother mrs plowden was one of the ladies in the household of queen mary beatrice mrs plowden's infant family lived with her in the palace of st germain and she sometimes found it necessary by way of punishment to shut up her little daughter mary a pretty spoiled child of four years old in the lobby leading from her own apartment to the queen's back stairs but the young lady always obtained her release by climbing to the little window that looked down into the king's closet and tapping at the glass till she attracted his attention then showing her weeping face and clasping her hands in an attitude of earnest entreaty she would cry in a sorrowful voice ah sire send for me james unless deeply engaged in business of importance always complied with the request of the tearful pensioner for he was very fond of children and when mrs plowden next entered the royal presence with the queen she was sure to find her small captive closeted with his majesty sitting at his feet or sometimes on his knee at last she said to the king i know not how it happens but whenever my little daughter is naughty and i shut her up in the lobby your majesty does her the honour of sending for her into your closet james laughed heartily and pointing to the window above explained the mystery it was fortunate that james and his queen were fond of children and indulgent to them for their royal abode at st germain was full of the young families of their noble attendants who having forsaken houses and lands for their sake had now no other home there were little middletons hayes dillons borks stricklands plowdens staffords sheldons and many of the children of their protestant followers also who might be seen sporting together in the parterres in excellent good fellowship or forming a mimic court and body-guard for the little prince whose playmates they were and the sharers of his infantile pleasures these juvenile jacobites were objects of the tenderest interest to the exiled king and queen who when they went to promenade on the terrace were always surrounded by them and appeared like the parents of a very numerous progeny the chateau indeed resembled an overcrowded beehive only that the young swarms were fondly cherished instead of being driven forth into the world other emigrants there were for whom the king and queen could do but little in proportion to their wants the town of st germain and its vicinity were filled with scotch english and irish jacobite families who had sacrificed everything in their fruitless efforts for the restoration of king james and were for the most part in a state of utter destitution the patience with which they bore the sufferings they had incurred for his sake pierced the heart of that unfortunate prince with the most poignant grief 
both he and mary beatrice imposed rigorous self-denial on themselves in order to administer to the wants of those families king james used to call from time to time into his cabinet some of these indigent persons of all ranks who were too modest to apply to him for aid and distributed to them folded up in small pieces of paper five ten fifteen or twenty pistoles more or less according to the merit the quality or exigency of each the prince and his sister as soon as they were old enough to understand the sufferings of the jacobite families devoted all their pocket money to their relief the princess from a very tender age paid for the education of several of the daughters of the british emigrants protestants as well as catholics and nothing could induce her to diminish her little fund by the purchase of toys for herself her natural vivacity was softened and subdued by the scenes of sorrow and distress amidst which she was born and reared and while yet an infant in age she acquired the sensibility and tenderness of womanhood both in person and disposition there was a great resemblance between her and the queen her mother with this difference that she was of a more energetic character she had quick talents and ready wit her state governess was the countess of middleton to whom she was greatly attached but her love for her parents and her brother amounted almost to passion mary beatrice fully participated in the pain which it cost the unfortunate james to disband the household troops composed of the noble-minded and devoted gentlemen who with unavailing loyalty had attached themselves to his ruined fortunes and were starving in a foreign land for his sake in one of her letters to her friend angelique priolo she feelingly alludes to this measure which was dictated to the fallen majesty of england by the then arbiter of his destiny louis the fourteenth yesterday says the consort of king james we went to versailles at present i can inform you that we are in good health god be thanked it is long since i have seen the king look so well but his kind heart as well as mine has suffered much for some days from this desolating reform that awaits us and which we have endeavoured to prepare for during the last few months it has at length begun among our poor troops i can assure you with truth that the desperate condition of these poor people touches us far more keenly than our own calamities at the same time i must tell you that we are perfectly satisfied with the king that is louis the fourteenth as we have good grounds to be for he spoke to us yesterday with much kindness about it and convinced us that if it had not been for the consideration he has for us and the desire he has to please us he should not have kept a fourth part of those whom he has retained and whom he will keep well for love of us i will enter into all the details of this when i have the pleasure of seeing you which will be in a fortnight if it please god in the meantime i beg you not to speak of this affair for it is not yet public but it soon will pray much for us my dear mother continues the fallen queen for in truth we need it much i never cease to pray for you as for myself to the end that god would make his grace abound in the replenishing our hearts with his sacred love and if we should be so happy as to obtain this of him we may be indifferent to everything else and even satisfied with all we have lost so that we possess him a pious latin aspiration from the psalms concludes this letter which is merely signed with the initial m a few devotional sentences in a child's text hand were originally enclosed which the fond mother explains to her friend in the following postscript 
here is a prayer from the hand of my son which seems written well enough to be sent to you i believe that my dear mother will be glad to have something in her hands which comes from those of that dear child deeply interested of course were the sisters of chalot and the son of their royal patron and patroness the exiled king and queen of england the singular beauty and amiable disposition of this child his docility and precocious piety rendered him an attractive visitor to the ladies of Sancerre as well as those of chalot i will send my son when you wish writes the queen to the abbess of chalot at a time when that lady was on a visit to the superior of Sancerre. send me word if you think that he will annoy madame de maintenon for in that case i will send him while she is on her journey if not i will send him one day next week in the course of the desolating reform as mary beatrice had emphatically termed the reduction of the military establishment of her unfortunate lord at st germain a touching scene took place between king james and the remnant of the brave followers of dundee which is thus related by dalrymple they consisted of one hundred and fifty officers all of honourable birth attached to their chieftains and each other and glorying in their political principles finding themselves alone upon the late king whose finances could scarcely suffice for the helpless who hung on him they petitioned that prince for leave to form themselves into a company of private sentinels asking no other favour but to be permitted to choose their own officers james assented they repaired to st germain to be reviewed by him before they were incorporated into the french army a few days after they came they dressed themselves in accoutrements borrowed of a french regiment and drew up in order in a place through which he was to pass as he went to the chase he asked who they were and was surprised to find they were the same men with whom in garbs better suited to their ranks he had the day before conversed at his levee struck with the levity of his own amusement contrasted with the misery of those who were suffering for him he returned pensive to his palace the day he reviewed them he passed along their ranks and wrote in his pocket-book with his own hand every gentleman's name and gave him his thanks in particular then removing to the front bowed to the body with his hat off after he had gone away he returned bowed to them again and burst into a passion of tears the regiment kneeled bent their heads and eyes steadfast on the ground and then rose and passed him with the usual honours of war the parting speech which james addressed to them concludes with these words should it be the will of god ever to restore me to my throne it would be impossible for me ever to forget your sufferings there is no rank in my armies to which you might pretend so as to the prince my son he is of your own blood he is already susceptible of every impression brought up among you he can never forget your merit i have taken care that you shall be provided with money and with shoes and stockings fear god love one another write your wants particularly to me and be assured that you will find in me always a parent as well as a king one of these gallant gentlemen captain ogilvy was the author of one of the first and most touching of the scottish jacobite songs it was a four-hour rightful king we left fair scotia's strand it was a four-hour rightful king we e'er saw irish land my dear we e'er saw irish land now what is done that man can do and all is done in vain my love my native land adieu for i must cross the main my dear for i must cross the main he turned him round and right about upon the irish shore he gave his bridle reins a shake 
with adieu forevermore my love adieu forevermore the soldier fra the war returns the merchant fra the main but i have parted fra my love and ne'er to meet again my dear and ne'er to meet again when day is gain and night is come and all are bound to sleep i think on him that is far away the live-lang night and weep my dear the live-lang night and weep the conduct of this new scotch brigade both in spain and germany excited the admiration of all the french army and as related by dalrymple forms one of the fairest pages in the history of modern chivalry a charming trait of the son of james the second and mary of modena in connection with some of these unfortunate gentlemen verified the truth of that monarch's assertion that the prince was already susceptible of every impression and also that he had been early imbued by his parents with a tender sympathy for the sufferings of their faithful friends fourteen of the scotch brigade unable to bear the hardships of the life of common soldiers returned to saint germain to thank king james for having written to their commander to obtain their discharge and permission for them to return to scotland or in case they chose to remain in france promising to pension them out of his personal savings james received them with the kindness and affection their attachment had merited four of the number who were too much impaired in constitution to return home continued at saint germain one day when listlessly strolling near the iron palisades of the palace they saw a boy of six years old about to get into a coach emblazoned with the royal arms of great britain this child was the son of the exiled king and queen the disinherited prince of wales who was going to join the promenade of the french court at marly he recognized the unfortunate emigrants and instead of entering the coach made a sign for them to approach they advanced respectfully and spontaneously offered the mark of homage which according to the custom of the times was always paid to persons of high rank by kneeling and kissing his hands which they bathed with their tears the princely boy graciously raised them and with that touching sensibility which is often prematurely developed by early misfortunes expressed his grateful appreciation of their loyalty he told them that he had often heard of their valor and that it made him proud and that he had wept for their misfortunes as much as he had done for those of his own parents but he hoped a day would come that would convince them that they had not made such great sacrifices for ungrateful princes he concluded by presenting them with his little purse containing ten or twelve pistoles and requesting them to drink the king's health both words and action were evidently unprompted and from his own free impulse the boy had been virtuously trained indeed it was subsequently seriously lamented by the jacobites that the queen his mother had brought the prince up more for heaven than earth gold too highly refined is not fit for common use and requires a certain portion of alloy to make it bear the stamp which gives it currency at the untimely death of her first state governess the marchioness of powis in sixteen ninety one mary beatrice had expressed an earnest wish that she would have the countess of errol the widow of the hereditary grand constable of scotland to supply the place of that lamented lady as she considered her the fittest woman in all the world to have the charge of her son just at that moment when the queen's anxiety was at its height the countess having received an intimation of her majesty's wish for her services made her escape from scotland and presented herself at saint germain and received the appointment but retained it little better than two years in october sixteen ninety three we find the following notice in dongu 
the queen of england has learned with much grief the death of the countess of errol the governess of the prince of wales a place which she considered it difficult to supply in france he appears to have remained from that time entirely under the care of lady strickland almost the only local memorial remaining at saint germain of the interest formerly felt in that town for the son of mary d'este and james the second is the sign of the ancient jacobite hotel le prince de gaulle which has every appearance of being a contemporary relic of the stuart court it has a portrait of the chevalier st george on either side coarsely enamelled on metal in enduring colours representing that unfortunate prince at two distinct periods of his boyhood and in different costumes on one side he is delineated as a smiling round-faced child of seven or eight years old with flowing ringlets and royally robed in a vest and mantle of cloth of gold in the other he is about thirteen tall and slender arrayed in a cuirass and a point lace cravat his natural ringlets carefully arranged in the form of a periwig and tied together with a blue ribbon in both portraits he is decorated with the order of the garter the late proprietor of the prince de gaulle was offered and refused a thousand francs for this curious old sign and declared that he would not part with it for any price when a miniature of this prince was shown to pope innocent the twelfth the old man though anything but a friend to james and mary beatrice was so charmed with the representation of their child that he kissed it and said he would fain hope to see the restoration of that angel to his just right the earl of perth by whom this little incident is recorded says that picture was brought to rome by father mar and that it was accounted very like the young prince and continues he i really believe it for one sees of the king and queen both in it he is wonderfully handsome End of section 23